0: Let me throw an idea at you, and this is for entertainment, not for the hip hop heads. But is there, and I ask you this, I don't have an answer, but you're more versed than I am. Is there somebody in just popular music, or in R and B, or you know, a solo artist
1: that lines up beyond just the hip hop genre? Against LL mm-hmm. for that period of time. Mm-hmm. Man, uh, for a 17-year run or 16-year run from 84 to 2000, sheesh, Uh, I mean, dude, like Michael Jackson, I mean, you know, literally, like, it's, uh, you know, uh, Prince, like, it's it's, it's on that level, it's on that level for a person to have a 15, 16-year career like that. Madonna, I mean, you know, the, yeah, that, that that's to me like why. So LL coined the term "goat," right? Like he he's the first guy that to, to coin it. He put the album out. And, and I think an athlete. Then, it,
0: correct me if I'm wrong, but didn't like a famous athlete, but LL brought it to us. LL brought it to.
1: Well, it. I mean, for hip hop, certainly he's the first to apply it. You know, um, but people don't take that claim seriously whenever they have goat discussions. LL is very rarely mentioned, but I, I've, I've said for a long time that LL needs to really seriously be in a conversation. When you talk about that dude's span, his career, the uh, diversity of his catalog, he could battle rap. He, he ended careers like he could have like love songs, ballads. He did the first hip hop ballad. He was the first breakout hip hop superstar. That dude like, he
0: led with those joints too, like. You know, yeah. they weren't just, you can't just point to the album and say, oh yeah, he had that lyrical, you know, spiritual miracle song. No, I mean, he made that his single. He he really put his career and his image on the line with, you know, every creative choice like that.
1: Yeah, I mean, that dude, like, in my mind, he has as big a claim to the title of GOAT as anyone in hip hop. Period. Yeah. I think hip hop will always be a void for the people. Yeah. Okay. You can't, you can't use my phone. <laughs> <laughs> you got the Tyrone thing going on. <laughs> yeah, man. That's
0: uh, that's back when we used to be able to go to coffee shops and people be trying to jump, uh, you know, jump on your Wi-Fi.
1: Right, <laughs> oh, right. Oh, is that is that what your um hotspot connection is called? But you yeah, can't yeah, use like, my phone. Exactly. Yeah,
0: it's a good conversation starter.
1: That's pretty funny. I used to do um, uh, Kanye West.
0: (laughs) 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 Or Kanye's phone.
1: Just to like mess with people, like in airports and stuff like that. Get people looking around and stuff. Yo, is Kanye here? That's funny. (laughs) I might steal that. Yeah, yeah. Well, but you can't use my phone. That's pretty good too. I like that. And
0: if anybody uh and if anybody ever runs into me, the password, and this is the only thing that this is the password for is Ambrosia. So if anyone <laughs> sees that and you watch this podcast, you get uh you get <laughs> free, free Wi Fi just yeah. by entering that code.
1: <laughs> yeah, you just upped us by like ten thousand views, man. That's awesome. <laughs> uh well yeah, I'm Reggie Williams, uh founder and CEO of Ambrosia for Heads, and with me I got Jack Payne. Welcome to our head our uh, podcast, welcome um what's the headline? Episode nine? Yeah,
0: we're up to nine already.
1: That's crazy. That's crazy. Um yeah, man, so uh it's been a crazy week. We had Luda versus Nelly last night on the versus. Um uh, probably the one I look forward to the least out of it, if I'm just gonna be honest about it, you know. Um I checked in periodically, and for the songs that I heard, they were definitely, you know, putting on a great show. Um, yeah. Complimentary, very complimentary, like Erica and Jill and, and Riza and Primo, which is cool, man. I, I don't think they should be like dudes like really going at each other and stuff like that, but um but it's, it's great to see them. Uh, but w- what did you think of the part you saw?
0: Yeah, I mean, I, part of it, uh Nelly was having Wi-Fi issues early on, and I was like, you know, um, certainly with Jill and Eric, it was worth the wait for me. No reflection whatsoever on this battle. I mean, more than 400,000 people tune in every time I looked. But sort of like you said, I mean, this wasn't one that was designed for my taste, per se. Um, and I thought that Luda was going to take it all along. And um, yeah, I mean, it was it was good. I was reminded of so many songs that I had forgotten about from, you know, the early 2000s, especially on Nelly's part. And, um, yeah, I mean, just, just good for hip-hop. And um, Luda, uh, I don't know if people caught it, Luda dropped some unreleased stuff, including a joint that Timberland produced called Silence of the Lambs, which um, featured little just that, that punchline delivery that, that, I mean, Luda has one of the best rap voices and, and kind of cadences, you know, and I don't think he gets enough credit for it.
1: Yeah, I mean, Lula is underrated just in general. People talk about, like, underrated MCs. That dude can spit. His flow is crazy. He's got, like, incredible charisma. Like, I think he's a really, really underrated MC, you know? And you, and you hear it when he's just catalog. Part of it, though, is that, you know, we talked about this last week with Justin, too, is he doesn't have, in my opinion, like, a classic album. You know, he's got, like, good songs, and a lot of his good songs are really features even more so than his own content you know but um but what he does do he shines on
0: yeah i 100 percent agree and um uh, yeah i mean it was cool i love the fact that this is kind of like standard programming every week and i don't think there's one lined up for next week yet um or, or this coming week i should say but uh Afterwards, Swizz got on uh, live with Snoop Dogg and they were kind of throwing around the idea of Snoop versus uh, Buster Rhymes, which, oh. um, yeah, I mean, that's an interesting. I would definitely tune in for that one.
1: That's really interesting. Um, I, you know, he's very thoughtful about this. He goes for people of the same era. Um, every time you know, literally almost to the year, like Luda and Nelly, like both were popping like 2001 or so to like 2004, 2005. Um, yeah, yeah, and Busta and Snoop. Um, Busta's biggest hits were probably like uh, solo at least were probably like 99, 2000, up to like 2004, or something like that. What do you
0: think? Yeah, I mean, he still had joint on on um, Big Bang, you know, the Dre, the Aftermath album, um, which is probably the favorite piece of, of that Busta's ever put out. It's my take. But, yeah, I mean, and then, and really in the last 12 years, um, whereas Snoop has been super prolific, Busta has done some mixtapes, but really kind of sat back. And, you know, I know he said it was going to be 2019, but I do believe this album that... Um, you know, Dre is you know, is going to come in 2020. I hope. I mean, Basta, uh, people are ready. So
1: Yeah. You know, um, I've also seen 50 versus Ja Rule is one thrown out there. First of all, do you ever think they would do it? And if they did, like, you know, do what, what, you think that does, like, I think that could do a million. I, that could be gigantic. It could be really one of the biggest. Oh, uh, I think.
0: More than a million, but I don't know how. I think honestly, turn into like the roast off. You know, um, like I don't know that those two guys are gonna let the music speak when there's so much bad blood, um, and they both really know how to troll each other. And um, but that would be, I mean, that would be the event of all events for quarantine in terms of you know live virtual entertainment.
1: So you think that won't be pay per view?
0: I mean, I got twenty nine ninety nine for it. I don't know if I'd go sixty nine ninety nine, but I I tune in for that. Um, but I don't honestly. I don't think fifty would ever do it. I think that fifties, you know, even though he's made peace with you know Fat Joe and the Locks and specifically Jadakiss, and I think that um, that day will never come. I mean, that their problems are so deep and. and these guys truly want to put each other out on the street. And I, I do believe that, you know, I don't know about you.
1: Well, um, you think even now, like it's been what, like 15 years or so since whatever it was, it, what, what sparked it? I, I can't even remember what sparked it.
0: I, yeah, I mean I, I mean, I
1: know it was, it was a stuff behind the scenes about Murder, Inc. and stuff like that. And 50s issues with, you know, we don't need to get into you know, too deep into it, but, um... You think it still lingers now?
0: Yeah, I mean, I it does, just because there was, you know, life-threatening violence, as far as I understand it. I mean, yeah. Um, Yeah, I just, and I mean, honestly, you can make a great case that, um, you know, 50 and G-Unit really knocked Ja Rule and Murder, Inc. off their block and Irv Gotti. And, you know, I mean, those guys have been able to be around and relevant, I mean, um, New York was a monster hit, you know, and I guess 2004, 2005. But, you know, I think the first thing that people think about with Ja Rule, or at least the second, has to do with 50 Cent. And there's no coming back from that. I mean, you know, even um, I think it was Ali from the St. Lunatics, you know, this week was talking about, like, past rivalry and a little bit of bitterness between Luda and Nelly. And we've seen like three, six mafia and bone thugs and harmony who are slated to battle. I mean, there's history there, but nah, Jay or, you know, John 50, I don't believe it'll ever happen.
1: Well, musically speaking, who do you think has, has, takes that one? It's a really good
0: question. I mean, um, I think if you bring in that million audience, um, that you're talking about, I think it's a really close race. I personally lean 50, just because I like, you know, um, hard, more rapping um, than, and not for nothing. I mean, let's, 50 kind of took some of that murdering blueprint, like, uh, 21 questions is, is very much out of the gyro playbook, but. This is how I, I just think
1: all of it. Like, yeah. You know, I but I think. Some hooks.
0: Yeah, but I and, and not for nothing. I mean Ja has those hard joints too, like especially the stuff he did with J and X, um, you know, Murder Graham and um uh what is it? Uh one nine hundred uh you know what I mean. Um I s I still think fifty takes it, but I think with a million people in the room and the underdog effect, Ja does better than Maybe it sounds like on paper and I, you know, we talked about that with DMX and Jay-Z recently, you know, there's a lot of people that want to see X win and you want to see the person on top get knocked off. Um, and yeah, Jaws waited for that, but I do believe 50 Cent would think that this battle is far beneath him. And like I said, you know, has real um, kind of street origins that aren't cute enough to make it a Swiss beats and Timberland produce versus. Mm. Plus, know, last thing, I mean, like you said, I mean, fifty cents about a dollar. And I don't think this would ever happen on a platform like that. It would be closer to kind of like what you said of like pay per view.
1: Yeah, you know, I could definitely see 50 trying to make some money from it. Um You know, I like 50's music more. I certainly listen to his albums more. Um but dude, Ja Rule, like I mean, he was dominant for like a good two years or so on the radio. Like, he just, like, had a formula that was working. And um, I think that uh, between his own stuff, the diversity, the features, I don't know, man. I think, I think you know, 50 had probably – well, I don't even know that 50 had bigger hits, right? Like, uh, in the club, like, I don't know that it was any bigger than, like, I'm Real or, um, you know – Holla. Yeah, Holla or, like yeah. – you know, or the Ashanti stuff like uh always oh. on and you know stuff like that uh always on time but um yeah. um I I think uh, Ja Rule's got more hits, more diverse hits and um you know in terms of charisma so I met him probably like twenty eleven, something like that. He had just come home, you know, uh, he had been away for a minute and um it was definitely not Pete Ja Rule. You know, it's probably I don't know, seven, eight years past his peak. And yeah, he was one of the most charismatic, you know, entertainers I've ever met in the room. Just, he just lit up the room, you know, just his voice, his smile, like everything. So I think he would definitely hold the camera too. You know, it would be a real tough one.
0: Do you think that, I mean, you know, 50 still to this day has a hive. Like, you know, I knew people that drank F and vodka because 50 was behind it. You know, I knew people that put down Gatorade and picked up vitamin water. Because Fifty, you know, benefited. Um, I don't know that Ja Rule has a hive like that, but I also think that Ja Rule, you know, if you if you grab somebody on the street, you know, and you ask them to name five fifty songs and five Ja Rule songs, I think on average they're going to probably come up with more Ja records for the reasons you just stated. But I don't know that Ja has people that are really passionate about him the way that Fifty does. You know, Fifty has that mixtape crowd. Then he has the aspirational crowd you know um it's different in ja rule i think there were a lot of people that were very entertained by watching him kind of squirm during the fire festival stuff you know um and ja Rule's more of just kind of like a a moment in time pop pop star you know even though you and i both know that he has joints i don't know i mean it would be an interesting battle for sure um And like I said, I mean, you know, I I would absolutely tune in. And if they had bad Wi-Fi connections, I would wait.
1: (laughs) I would (laughs) stay. Yeah, it's interesting you mentioned the fire festival because I had completely forgotten about that. Like, I don't know that that really tarnishes Jack. You know, people's memories are so short now. And, you know, the catalog, it, it does speak for itself.
0: Yeah. I mean, I don't know. I I saw a lot of headlines, even in the hip hop space about that. And that could be like hashtag slow news day stuff. But also, I mean, I don't know. Did you watch either of those documentaries?
1: Yeah, I watched them both.
0: Yeah, I did, too. And Jod and ja does not come off as the smoothest guy in those, I can say. Um, yeah. And I think that it was it was kind of gratifying for people to. Do that and, and, and also one of the things I really admire about Ja Rule it was a few years ago. Um you and I actually debated whether we should cover it on AFH. He did that, um I don't know if it was the Super Bowl, it was some big TV event, but he did that Foot Locker commercial where he was the Uber driver.
1: Um wait and he, he was an Uber driver and a footlocker commercial? I
0: don't remember that. Damn, now I'm mad we didn't cover because it was to me it was a great commercial where Ja Rule's driving an escalade and he's like you can kinda see him in the mirror. And he's talking about how, you know, everybody gets their 15 seconds. And then at the very end, they reveal and he lets people out of the Escalade. And he says, you know, please give me a good rating. And it was it was like this comical commercial. Um, And I was like, you know, I don't think Ja Rule needs a bag. I really don't. But I love the fact that he was willing to make a commercial that three years later I'm telling you about. Hmm. You never saw that?
1: No, I don't think I saw that one. Yeah, I don't. I don't know how I feel about that. Like uh, I gotta see it to see what, what the spirit is, you know. Okay. But I mean, like his rapper Big Pooh said, no, no shame in and driving a, a, a Uber, even if you know, even if that's what it, it really is. So.
0: You know, that's that's an interesting segue right there. Um, you know, as we talk about Swizz and verses um, during the last week, you know, Swizz threw out an idea that is by no means new, but it was about you know providing. Um, sizable I'll call them like almost gratuities to hip-hop's pioneers um, and I think that, me- that he mentioned you know Cool Herc by name Grandmaster Melly Mel who celebrated a birthday last week and uh, one other um I'm trying to think but there's a lot of pioneers there's a lot of people that are behind the reason that you and I are talking today and the reason that we've worked together for close to a decade that Despite their their contributions to the culture, are having to do other things to earn a living, and these are folks that are in their fifties, sixties, and seventies. And um, you know, I've I've known for effect pioneers that have had you know um, FedEx and UPS jobs and things like that. It's a really interesting concept that's lingered in hip hop for a while. What do you think of it?
1: You know, um, I'd seen like references to it as like reparations or, or something like that, which um, you know, so to me, I guess the question is who pays, right? Like, so um, if it's reparations and you're looking at it like as something that like, you know, artists are owed from past um, um, grievances, then I think it's record labels, you know, uh, publishing companies, people like that, um, because these guys built a multi-billion dollar industry and never ever reaped any of the benefits from it. They were literally kind of robbed of that. Um, I don't see that happening just like I don't see actual reparations happening for slavery or anything like that. I just don't think that people are prepared to go back and and right wrongs. So I, I don't think people yeah. look that way. But what I do think needs to be in place is um, kind of a pension plan, you know, something that um, is set up for artists where, uh, you know, they get, you know, money back or a percentage, almost like a, a an additional kind of social security, um, you know, once that that's paid into, you know, maybe it's based on streams or or album sales or, you know, radio airplay or whatever it is, but just like, you know, putting a little, like, something away each time there's something like that triggered so that they'll get access to it later on when things aren't as rosy. I think that, that could be huge and is well-deserved um, especially for like pioneers like that but how about you
0: yeah I mean I like that and you and I spent a lot of time in 2019 and 2020 you know amplifying people like Wale that were suggesting for health care provided by the labels. you know Freddie Gibbs brought it up too if I'm not mistaken and yeah I mean I do believe that there needs to be some sort of a program like that um I you know I always worry that pensions really don't exist to our current generation in the future, like I grew up you know in in Pittsburgh, which you know had a huge you know steel industry, very blue collar, and a lot of those steel workers lost their pensions you know just because of what happened and how that money was handled and you know i don't know that I trust the record industry i don't know that you know anybody who knows a bit about hip hop does, but there has to be a way um for people that made this possible to not have to beg online or beg in the streets. And beg isn't the right word, but lean on on help. You know, everyone needs it. And um, we are in a position right now to pay our pioneers. You know, this isn't Robert Johnson. This isn't, you know, somebody, and I think rock and roll has done a decent job of that. I think jazz, although there's maybe less money involved, has done a good job of that. We really need to hip hop. And you know I've heard stories of some of the pioneers, you know, charging money for appearances and charging uh, money for interviews and stuff like that, and really being guarded with their stories. And I'm in favor of that, even as a journalist. Like there has to be something that they have to leverage, and not all pioneers put out an album or a single or or music that gets sampled.
1: So you know, if you don't look at it as reparations or pension, I think another thing that Swiss and LL were talking about. that's a different kind of spirit is them actually it maybe the current generation owes something to their predecessors because yeah. without them they wouldn't be here so do you think that that's another way to do it that like you know guys who are really successful now should kind of pay it backward um, yeah
0: and I, I mean i think we see that and i don't think it gets talked about enough you know i mean i'll say this like i'm somebody that's not a macklemore fan i mean he's made music that I that I, I, respect and I like, but I got to give it to the guy for putting, you know, cool Mo D grandmaster Caz, And I think it was Melly Mel, you know, on the song and then bringing them to, um, perform it at a high level. I can't remember if it was the Grammys or the American music awards, but you know, you hear stories like that. You hear stories of, okay. Um, making producer instead of, um, you know, sampling, this song, I might sample uh, Top Villain by Audio 2 and put a check in, in those guys' pockets. Like, I do think artists are very mindful of where they spend their money, but it could always, always, always be um, more and greater. And I'd like to see more of that because, I mean, you know, you and I have covered a lot of the generational discussions um, in in hip hop. And oftentimes, there's just not an education and there's not an intersection for, the Waka Flockas and the peat Rocks to understand each other. And I think if there's this sense of obligation and and gratitude um, of paying it backwards as well as forwards, we look at things differently.
1: Yeah, I like the concept of, you know, people kind of respecting their elders and and having uh, and putting their money where where their mouth is too. Um, But I just don't know how it's executed. You know, I think about, um, I think about the fact that First of all, you can't you can't dictate which artists are going to do it uh, you know, unless you like make it mandatory. Then I'm not sure that it's all that effective. But then I also think about okay, who then is deserving of the the, the payments? Like you know, you it, it can't be arbitrary and just say it's this person, that person, and this person. Like how do you decide who gets it? You know, and should I don't know should a um, Melly Mel or Grandmaster Kaz, Um, they, you know, if they get reparations, then should like someone like a, I don't know who from that era, like an LL, should LL get reparations too? You know what I mean? He's from a, a similar era, but clearly in a very different financial state. Mm-hmm. You know? So, um, so how do you, how do you slice it up? Yeah, it
0: gets really tricky. And I mean, I I've thought of it and this could be, you know, um, pandemonium, which is what's going on you know, with so many uh, states and at the federal level right now. But if you put that money in a fund and people can apply for it. um, But here's the thing is somebody's got to be willing to be the bad guy or bad woman. Because, you know, if there's a pot of money, everyone might go for it. And somebody has to say no. Or somebody has to say, you know what? You started in 1984. That's our criteria is it ends here. It ends in 82 or it ends in 83. Or sorry, we're not doing photographers or we're not doing promoters or, you know, graffiti artists, like, it gets really tricky. And it's great in theory, but who's willing to put their neck out there to dictate and say no. And that's, that's a challenge. And I'm not saying that Swizz or whomever isn't up for it. But um, something needs to be done. But I, I would like in the next decade, to see, you know, especially with the names that we all know, and we've talked about in this conversation, I'd like to make sure those people don't have to worry for. Um, or, or, you know, they don't need to need anymore. You know, their bills are kind of covered. It might not be glamorous, but they're the reason we're all here. They're the reason that, you know, AFH exists and the reason that Rock the Bells exists. I'm glad that LL stepped up and said he would be 100% down to support it. You know, that's big on his part because he is um, absolutely one of those pillars of success, maybe not from the very beginning, but from, you know, hip-hop's, you know, growth period.
1: You know, I met him once, and he is truly about the culture. Like, it, w- it was shocking to me. Like, uh, you know, first of all, he programs, uh, and I think I told you this, he, he programs every single song on Rock the Bells that the radio station. Like, I mean, like, everyone has to be approved by him, which is insane. Like, for him to be that in touch with, with, uh, with, with the music and to care that passionately about it. But he really is about the culture, you know. Everyone, a lot of people throw that term around and everything, but he—he's a fan, a student, and um, and feels obligated to advance, continue to advance the culture, even, you know, for almost forty years later after his his debut. It's pretty—it's pretty crazy.
0: It's remarkable, and I mean, even you know, you and I spoke about Luda versus Nelly as Nelly was having Wi-Fi issues, which you know, I've had my share of in this podcast,
1: mm-hmm.
0: I um, I went and I tuned in to LL's live. And if I'm not mistaken, he was taking questions from fans. You know how, like, when you jump on live, you can ask if, you know, like, share your screen as if, you know, Questlove's gonna stop DJing or d j you know, D-Nice to let you. But I think LL was taking fan questions. And um, yeah, I mean, he really represents this culture on a personal level. And I've turned on Rock the Bells and I have found, extremely um, underground and esoteric and off the, off the beaten path, hip hop, new and old played on there. And, um, you know, I think it's a great station. I love backspin. I think rock the bells is even better, you know? Yeah. Um, so, yeah.
1: Yeah. Another thing that he and schools were talking about was he wants someone to battle, to, to find the battle. him. So, you know, we talked about earlier about how, Swizz has been very intentional about matching people era for era. But when Mm -hmm. you think about a dude like L.L., L.L., you know, um, you know, Rock the Bells and um, Jack the Ripper and, uh, you know, uh, those songs came out, you know, I can't live without my radio, came out like 1983 or so, you know, and he started to pop in 84. But then he had a run. That went pretty much like with he had a cold streak for maybe like a year and a half between like uh 19 i let'd say eighty late 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 eighty eight or so right after uh I'm that type of guy and um lesson zero soundtrack came out and um and uh when he dropped the album with Marley, with Marley Marlow Mama said knock you out. um but but aside from that and a year and a half these days that's just a that's just a break that's an album cycle. The dude had a run from 1983 until 2001 or so when he had a uh, "Love You Better." Uh, he had a number one album with Go in uh, in 2000. Yeah, yeah, and, you know, and the song with um, you know with, with uh, Ashanti, Ashanti too, right? Uh, uh, Paradise. Okay. Uh, yeah. um, yeah, he so like I don't know that anyone has ever had a run like that, like a seventeen or so year run. That's that's crazy. Like, and as a solo know. artist. Yeah. Never in a group. Yeah, I don't know I don't know who you even put up against him.
0: You know, it's funny because like you can look at your cubes and your drays, but they have that benefit of the group catalog. Um and to me that's not an even match battle. And I'm not saying that because I think, you know, they would win. So there's that. And then you look at them, and I, I kind of rack my brain for consistent solo artists of that same timeline of, like, 84, 85. Because I think I Need a Beat came out in 84, if I'm not mistaken. Um, and uh, you, get, you, you got too short. And all respect due to Short Dog, but his, he was never on the level of L, you know, in terms of, you know, mass recognition and, and true global hits like that. Um, and, and yeah, I don't know that there's anyone that lines up with L. Same with Ice-T. I mean, Ice has been doing it a really long time, but Ice has gone five, six years without a hip hop album. And again, no shots to Ice, but Ice never had a record that was that huge after what, like 91? Um, yeah. so it's, Elle's on a level of his own. And I, I've really thought of that. And I'm like, who could he possibly, um... Because you know the Canes and Rock Hims didn't didn't you know you can make the argument for Rock I suppose. Um, Have that,
1: that kind of longevity?
0: No, no. And and you know, I mean, Rock was the only vocalist in his group, but yeah, I don't I don't know I don't know. Rock last album was two thousand and nine, and he's put out a handful of like Lucy since then. But L, you know, has put albums out in the last decade, and. That matters. That counts for something. And L's first album was, you know, what, two years or three years before Paid in Full?
1: Yeah. Yeah, Uh, Paid in Full was like 87 or so. So, yeah, like like three or four years. Let
0: let me throw an idea at you. And this is for entertainment, not for the hip-hop heads. But is there – and I ask you this. I don't have an answer, but you're more versed than I am. Is there somebody in just popular music or in R&B or, you know, a solo artist that lines up? beyond just the hip hop genre
1: against Mm LL for that period of time, Mm -hmm. man, uh, for a 17 year run or 16 year run from 84 to 2000. Sheesh. Uh, I mean, dude, like Michael Jackson, I mean, you know, literally like it's, uh, you know, uh, Prince, like it's, it's, it's on that level. It's on level for a person to have a fifteen, sixteen-year career like that, Madonna. I mean, you know, the, yeah. That that that's to me like why. So LL coined the term "goat," right? Like he he's the first guy that, to to coin it. He put the album out. And, I and think an athlete. It.
0: It, correct me if I'm wrong, but didn't like a famous athlete, but LL brought it to us. LL brought
1: it to. LL. Well, I mean, for hip hop, certainly he's the first to apply it. You know, Um, but people don't. Take that claim seriously. Whenever they have GOAT discussions, LL is very rarely mentioned. But I, I've I've said for a long time that LL needs to really seriously be in a conversation. When you talk about that dude's span his career, the uh, diversity of his catalog. He could battle rap. He, he ended careers like he could have like love songs, ballads. He did the first hip hop ballad. He was the first breakout hip hop superstar. That dude and like, he
0: led with those joints too. Like. You know, yeah. they weren't just, you can't just point to the album and say, oh, yeah, he had that lyrical, you know, spiritual miracle song. No, I mean, he made that his single. He he really put his career and his image on the line with, you know, every creative choice like that.
1: Yeah. I mean, that dude, like, in my mind, he has as big a claim to the title of GOAT as anyone in hip hop. Period. Yeah. Like, you know, number of hits, you know, um, chart success all like, you know, could take it to you, give you that fire. Like, you know, you didn't want it. He stopped careers. Like he ended careers, multiple careers. Like the dude is, is he's, he's, he's crazy, you know? Uh, He is. And I, I,
0: yeah, absolutely. And I mean, you know, recently, um, you know, he did this great interview with Sway in the last year and, you know, kind of alluded that he was picking a lot of his samples and had a little bit of the hand in the mixing and, you know, L does so much more than people immediately come to mind. And yeah, and I don't I don't know why. You know, it's just not as sexy as an answer as putting, you know, your Kings and your Kims and your Nas and your Jays like the usual suspects to the point where it bores me. Like, you know, so many top five lists just feel super cookie cutter and L I don't hear his name even goat for sure you know, belongs in that conversation, but I don't even hear his name enough on the top five conversations.
1: Yeah, and he reinvented himself so, so many times too. Like his his rhyme style was very simplistic when he first came out, as was the case, you know, run DMC, like simple like cadences, like, you know, two syllable rhymes, uh, you know, not like um multisyllabic, you know, rhyme patterns and stuff like that. Uh but then you know, you get to the Jinglin baby and, you know, mama Sit knock era. And he's like really stepped up his rhyme style, you know, after following, you know, Rakim and Kane and stuff like that. And then he made the transition that they weren't able to make, which was to become uh, a really successful nineties rapper, Keras more so than, than Rakim, but uh, you know, but, but I'm talking like massive radio hits. Um you know, with, like, uh, you know, four, three, two, one, 3, yeah. 2, and, uh, you know, all the stuff on... on I the, Shot you. Yeah, yeah, on that album. Um, yeah, I mean, the, and then being on the remix with Biggie, you know? Yeah. Um, Flavor in your ear, and, and Craig Mack, Flavor in your ear, like, the guy, man, he was super, super versatile. Um, unbelievable. He is, he is, and
0: I mean, I love the fact that, you know, he's somebody that we can tune into all the time, and... Um, he's truly just a cultural ambassador. And, uh, yeah, I don't think there's anyone that can battle. And, you know, we talk about 50 or J being above certain battles. It's funny that you have LL out here. Like, I want in. I want in. And there's yeah. no one that's on his level.
1: You Nobody know? on his level. And there's the fashion part, too. You know, what he did for FUBU. You know, I yeah. mean, being this gangster is like advertising FUBU. Even in a, Kangol. In a, in a Gap you know, commercial. You remember that? We did the piece on that, like how he you know yeah. he said, gap is for is for us by us and was like yeah. shot, had the fubu hat on, like yeah. <laughs> he was a beast, man. He still is, but um yeah. so let me so going back to the, the battle, so do you think for a guy like him, and even for Snoop, right? Because we talked about this a little bit with Snoop versus Busta, do you think that to keep it kind of, you know, in theme and on brand for what what Swiss has done with these, they should limit their catalog like should snoop have two battles right someone to to battle him from ninety three to two thousand and then from two thousand on because he has two different two completely different catalogs too pre and post death row you know uh, you know um,
0: I don't think so. I think you get you get one, and I mean you make a great case for it, but I just don't think that it's feasible um I mean honestly, i'm very curious. I hope that this concept lives on, but when the world opens up again, I don't know if everyone's going to be so eager at, you know, eight or nine o'clock on a Saturday night to tune in. Um, You know, even me in the house, sometimes I'm just like, man, you know, like literally I got to stop this movie or end this conversation and tune in. I don't know. I think everyone's going to get one battle. And if there's a great narrative that emerges out of these of like, wow, you know, so-and-so crush so-and-so, you can make it competitive. But I think with Snoop, you know, respect due to his catalog. But I think he gets he gets one. And there were a lot of people out there, not for nothing, that said not job ja versus 50, um, Snoop versus 50. I think 50 might have even said that himself um a few weeks back. But that, as you I'm sure would agree, like, you know, Snoop has a has a six, seven, eight-year jump on fifty. And that's not interesting to me. I mean, 50 can't compete with the doggy style sound or the chronic sound.
1: Well, okay, so then let's advance it 10 years. You fast forward 10 years after LL, there are two dudes like nipping at his heels uh, in terms of longevity. Uh, one is Snoop, because Snoop really, you know, kind of kickstarted 1992, right, with deep cover. Yeah. Um, and so like he's he's right around, and he's still relevant. He put out, he can still put out a, a joint now and and, mm-hmm. and have a hit. Uh he had the um uh, the little Duval joint, um yeah. last year, gigantic, you know. Best so let's life. let's give him eighteen years. Right? Okay. Um and then the other dude is Jay Z. Jay, uh, you know, I would say for me, you know, ninety six uh ninety six when um Reasonable Doubt dropped. Um Uh ninety-six ninety seven. So he's got like a fourteen year run. Even though he was around before that, I know I know he was around like, you know, significantly before that. But but when people really kind of locked into him, it was right around that ninety six ninety seven era. Um, you know, so fourteen and Jay is you know, he took time off too, but his his retirement was also a year and a half or so, you know. Um so those are two who could stand with L in terms of like that longevity.
0: Yeah, I mean, the, the Jay thing interests me more. I think that Snoop has, you know, hits for sure. Um, but sometimes they, they're a little bit more spread out. And in recent years, yeah. Um, that, you know, he, had, he caught one with, uh, with uh, Katy Perry, and then he had the Young, Wild, and Free with Wiz. J versus LL is crazy to me because, um, you know, there's, again, there's history there. You know, L kind of spoke about it himself on that Sway interview. Um that would be nuts to me, and I know that Wait,
1: what 's the history
0: you know just that they they weren 't the closest of guys um you know l is extremely competitive j is extremely competitive, and so you have that at the onset as it is, and you know not for nothing I mean j in addition to jazz o kind of came up under kane um you know which so he has a different lineage, and then you have. In the mid 2000s, you know, LL is still a Def Jam artist, kind of figuring out where to go. I mean, at this point, we're four or five, six years after the GOAT album. And Jay is the president of Def Jam. And Jay didn't, as I understand it, make a ton of friends while doing that. You had guys like LL and DMX. And then you had your Redmans and your Mans and The Roots and all of these groups. And Jay was trying to, you know take Def Jam to a new place. And I think that rubbed L in particular on the wrong way. I mean, L didn't get that open with Sway, but he he suggested that there's, you know, there's tension in the past and there's a respect now, if I'm paraphrasing correctly.
1: Mm -hmm. So you think LL versus Jay? Man, that would be huge.
0: But again, I mean, we've said this in several episodes of the podcast. I don't think Jay would agree to do this, maybe for title. Um, you know, <laughs> it lives on title and rock the bells, but L I imagine like L doesn't strike me as a guy who turns this down. Um, especially just the narrative that we've talked about. I think he wants, he wants his smoke. He wants his competition. Um, but Jay, I don't know. And I, I mean, I don't think Jay currently has an Instagram account. I think he's, he may have had one in the past. So I don't even know if Jay is watching these things unless he's got some burner account
1: that we've, don't know about. I'll tell you I'll tell you who really, okay I got it. This is who really should face off against uh, LL Cool J and their eras almost align perfectly. Um, so LL, let's say 84 to like 2000, 2001 or 83. I got a guy um, who is like 87 to like uh 2000 maybe two or so. Hip-hop? Yeah. Um, And they have a very tight-knit relationship. Rock him? Nope. Dr. Dre.
0: Yeah, but how do you go solo versus group? I don't know that it matters, but that was what was so dope about, you know, Nelly and Ludacris or, you know, I
1: mean, Dre... I don't think it matters. I mean, dudes are playing so many features and stuff like that, right? So it's not really just about their solo solo catalog. It's really about any record that they, they have a verse on, um, you know. And it's, it's verses, you know. Uh, so you know, you start with Dre's catalog with NWA, and you go through the solo stuff and the features with M. And um, you know, uh, I think that and Pop, like, I think I think that's a really really strong. Battle and they have a great history together, they're great friends. Like, it would be very a lot of camaraderie, you know, very complimentary. But I think that would be just massive for fans.
0: I agree with you on the friend part. I think it gets tricky. I mean, you know, what is straight out of Compton if it's just Dre? And I mean, that's one thing. Like, you got Bone and 3 6 battling, just let the record play. And that, not to change the subject too much, but that's one thing that I'd like to see these do differently. I mean, the stories are great, the camaraderie is great, but. I mean, technology is possible. I want these battles to have a little bit of um, a human touch to them. Like, I think it would be dope to see them just deliver the bars a cappella sometimes, you know, instead of it just being a playlist battle. Um, so, and, and, and I'll leave that to here. You know, one of the things that's been kind of lingering, a conversation that goes long before 2020 is Kane versus Rakim. Mm-hmm. And, um, you know, utmost respect for both of those guys. At a performance level, I know for sure who wins that battle. At a catalog level, I think it has a different winner. What about you?
1: So performance level, I'm assuming you're going to say Kane. Yeah. Because, I mean, and by performance, you don't mean just spitting the bars. You mean the whole total package, right? Cause
0: yeah, but, but also within the confines of what this could be, you know, what what a – what a produced Instagram live thing could be of like, you know, almost like a a freestyle, Um, you know, like almost kind of like what, what Guapdad is doing, you know, like Kane could murder that just the way that he delivers and his timing and his charisma. Um, Yeah. But I mean, on a concert level,
1: So we we have these on AFH, right? We we used to do the ever see where we go and dig in the crates and find these like really rare clips of artists of all eras. And we have examples of both Kane and Rakim rhyming on the street, a cappella, like in a true cipher for people Mm -hmm. and both just killed it. Rakim did the Punisher and Kane did. uh, I can't remember which one Kane did, but both were incredible. so I don't know. I don't know that Kane outright takes that just in in performance. Uh, when it when it's all out and they're on yeah. stage, then you know Rakim is like kind of in his pocket and not moving and, and doing whatever. And a lot of times, we've you now talked about this. He'll have the crowd finish his run instead of doing it himself. But Kane is still like jumping, spinning, dancing, dropping to his yeah. knee the whole night. He's still the ultimate showman. So I see just on a pure performance level, him taking it. But if it's just them going verse for verse, acapella, acapella, I think it's going to – because Ra is so smooth with it. His voice is so laid back and everything. I think it's going to be pretty even. Uh, yeah. But I would love to see That's that. That's true. I would That's love true. to see that.
0: Yeah. I mean, Kane's answer, I think, was always uh, – I think it was Kane more than Rock. Kim. Like, uh, somebody put the money up. And, mm. um, you know, this this could be great. And 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 here's the other thing, too. I would love that regardless of who wins. And, you know, Jill and Erica, the unanimous, like everyone I talked to was like, there was no winner. It was just great. You know, we said that. I've heard it other podcasts, other just friends in the street. But the cool thing is, is afterwards, their catalogs went up considerably. And, you know, Luda and Nelly, you know, those guys are hit makers galore. I hope people pay attention to some of those deeper cuts. But with Kane and Rock, Kim just hip hop fan to my core, I want people... do the knowledge i want people to know the catalog and i want that streamed and celebrated and both of those guys as far as i know the vast majority of their catalog is on dsps it's available like let's get that music celebrated um let's give it its moment and that could be a real byproduct win
1: well that kind of goes back to our conversation about uh reparations or pension right like if for people of that era there could be a fund, you know, uh, like a just like a tip jar almost for them. And I, I, they could raise – I could see them raising like a, almost a million dollars on this, man. Everyone gives a dollar to get in, like kind of like the Erica concert or something like that, or yeah. just as a as a, a voluntary tip. That's a half a million dollars for Kane and Raquel each. Like I, I think that that would be meaningful to those guys, you know, like um, in Most a three-hour thing. So – uh, I would be all for that, man. Uh, all for it, you know. And I'm I like that idea. Like, yeah, and I'm wondering if they're getting a cut of the merchandise. Like, you know, you see these uh, verses, uh, you see the the pen for the merchandise go to the store. I'm wondering if participants get a cut of that too.
0: Yeah, that's a good question. I have actually have not clicked on that link, um, but I like that idea a lot. And you know, I mean, we've lived, we've come off of the era of crowdsourced albums and things like that. I mean, nobody did it bigger than De La Soul. I like that as a concept of because there's so many people, too, that, you know, I was just thinking about it. I've seen Rock Kim live a number of times. I've seen Kane live a few times. I've never seen LL in concert.
1: Mm. And
0: I don't know if I'll ever get that chance, you know. But to throw down a dollar and feel like you supported something, to see an artist on concert that means something to you, whether battling or otherwise on the phone, um, that's a brilliant idea. I really, really like that.
1: I saw L.L. open up one time in Miami for uh, R. Kelly. Oh, wow. <laughs> that was a pretty crazy concert.
0: Was it a good concert?
1: I yeah, mean, was it, it, was. it was. Very, it was great. It was great. Um, you know, I'll tell you another, another person that coincides with L.'s era. But I, you know, and I think LL would respect this. I'm not sure that fans would see it on the same level. Like true hip hop fans would be like, yeah, yeah. But like, I think the mainstream, I'm not sure. But uh, Scarface.
0: That's a real like, and I don't know why. Because you can make the same case that Ghetto Boys, N.W.A., both groups. But to me, that's that's an interesting battle. Um. Yeah again I, I i've spoken of this over several of these kind of proposals there's an underdog effect though and in my mind both scarface and ll are underdogs for conversations as the goat and i don't know i mean uh yeah that's that's interesting that's really really interesting and i did see i don't i saw this week scarface put a video up that appeared like him on a boat fishing or something so i hope he's as we've talked about in recent weeks, you know, battled COVID. I really hope he's on the up and up because, mm-hmm. uh, man, there have been so many passings related to COVID and otherwise in 2020. That yeah. are, that's, but that's a that's a great idea. That's a really – I think LL would probably like that idea too, I would imagine.
1: Yeah, well, let's see if we can make that happen. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, you know, another thing I'd like to make happen, man, is, uh, you know, I, I, I want us to – we should after, – after this, we should uh, – we should think about A Z. You know, A Z um recently he put out a new song, uh his first official single, I guess, from Do or Die Two, uh, which is um has been teased now for eleven years, something like that. Um and, and to my to my knowledge, uh I don't know if there's been an official single release for it, uh, but found my niche dropped on Friday. Um and the project is gonna have uh, production from Pete Rock, Rockwilder, Bink, Buckwild. Guests include Rick Ross, T-Pain. Did, um, they didn't say a date though, right? They say a, was there a release date? Not yet,
0: but you know, I, I I do believe it's coming from you know what I've kind of heard. And um, yeah, I mean, A has teased this album since 2009. At times, you know, he mentioned like really kind of waiting on trying to get like Dre, who you know he worked with with the firm. Um, trying to get premier who he had done a lot of things with, you know, in, in more recent years.
1: Um, I'm, I,
0: first of all, I liked the single. I don't know what you thought about it.
1: Yeah. I liked it. I liked it. Um, you know, I'm, I'm anxious to hear more, um, especially like the Pete rock, um, you know, and rockwater joints. I think those are going to really speak to me even more. Uh, but yeah, I liked it.
0: A you know, AZ's put out a lot of music. Um, you know, in the last decade, and some of it has been these street albums, which you know he kind of has said like, you know, I don't, don't, you know, as we talk about catalog, like, don't include that in my vision. Then he's put out a lot of like Lucys and like mixtape covers and things like that. I'm excited for this because Do or Die Two came out of the conversation in 2009 when you had Raekwon, um, you know, put out the Purple Tape Two, you know, only built for Cuban Links Two. And then immediately after, Raekwon Executive produced uh, Capone and Noriega's The War Report 2. And, you know, AZ, who's very close with all of these guys, was like, man, I'm going to go back to my baby, my first album, and, and make a sequel. Which, um, you know, I think that AZ is one of these artists that hasn't wavered at all in quality. I think that, um, you know, his delivery is crisp. He still has really authentic, interesting things to say. I want him to get one more jewel in his belt, you know, one more jewel in his crown. And I would love 2020 to be a year where people really look at AZ's contributions on his own, you know?
1: Yeah, I agree 100% about his his ability. Like his ability has stayed at the same level for years. He's had no decline. So, you know, given that, like a a lot of people – Stop because they they lose their passion and lose the skill. It doesn't seem like he's lost either. What do you what do you think has been the source of his reduction in output? You mean um, what's kept him sharp? No, what's kept him from putting out putting out more music?
0: Yeah, I don't. It's it's funny like Red too. Man
1: too, right? Like I mean, these guys like he and Red are super super sharp. Like they're mm-hmm. just as good as they've ever been. Uh, but but the output is sporadic, you know. And they both have been promising. Like Red has been uh, promising muddy, muddy waters, muddy waters to, for a bunch of years, and that hasn't kind of fruition. So, what, what do you think it is?
0: Yeah, I mean, it's it's funny because it makes you it makes you wonder. Like these guys, these are probably two of the most like longest anticipated albums that I can think of. You know, A is longer than Red Man, but they go back like well towards a decade. And then if you, like, put anything else out, it seems like your fans get mad at you, right? Like, you know, um, Redman put out a project, uh you know, uh, at the end of 2015, and everyone was like, yeah, but what about Muddy Waters too?" And, you know, AZ, I'm not sure it's quite as bad, but, you know, he he mentions this in 2009. Then in 2010, he does this kind of, like, pump fake where he did a Do, do or Die 15th anniversary, and it had... You know, kind of like some reworkings on there, but also some new joints in the spirit of, and I feel like that diluted the excitement. So I give him credit that he waited this long. And when you see those names, like you said, P. rock, like Wow, Bink, Rockwilder, like I'm, I'm excited. You know, um, A spit a joint last year on Eric Sermon's Vernia album that was really tough, and he's put out these Lucies from time to time that we we covered on AFH and. Um, yeah, I mean, AZ is just cool. I saw him not too long ago at a, at a, a dinner that Raekwon had. And A is, um, you know, he's one of these ageless, timeless artists that just feels like an era in hip hop, you know?
1: Do you think that um, it's, after a while it's the detox effect where <laughs> the, the album has gotten so much hype and there's so much weight under it that artists just don't believe they can ever meet the expectation or they put so much pressure on themselves that there is process of analysis. It's kind of like what happened with D'Angelo.
0: Yeah, I do. I mean, and I think that there's a reason why you see um, artists stopping, they're getting away from releasing so many details far in advance, you know, and that was very much a trend of a slower moving hip hop media of like, yo, yeah, my next album is going to be called good ass job. You know, my next album is going to be called detox. And it, it wets the appetite and it becomes a, a, a marination for the fan of, like, okay, what comes after? And now I do. I feel like artists are tortured by it because their lives can take turns. The sound can take turns. They can get in a pocket with a producer and be like, no, nah, I don't, I'm not doing good ass job. I'm doing, you know, 808s and, you know, like, I'm doing a whole other thing and it becomes super limiting. And I do think that Do or Die 2 will be dope. I really hope that Redman, you know, does his Muddy Waters too, um, But I don't know that you're going to see a whole lot of sequels at the high level, not at a mixtape level, to come after this, you know, oh especially God. from our veterans, our OGs.
1: You know, so another thing that happened yesterday was um, Ice Cube is America's Most Wanted. There's a celebration of the 30th anniversary uh, on IG Live. Did you, did you check that out or no? I did.
0: I did. I tuned in a few times, um, you know, just like everyone else, just like you and me, you know, Cube had uh, some technical difficulties, but it was really, I've loved what he did on Twitter throughout the week, dropping facts that I personally didn't know about America's Most Wanted. Um, well, and then... To,
1: remember any? Some of the ones that stuck out?
0: Yeah, I mean, Chuck D did a lot of the scratches on the album, which I thought was dope, um, you know, and, and I am i may have read that and, you know, all these these books and things like that but it wasn't top of mind to me and you know chuck d was part of the bomb squad and people forget that they always think of you know hank and keith shockley and you know uh, eric vietnam sadler and you know bill stephanie but you know chuck is a producer too so i thought that was really dope and then um what was it uh i don't remember who was bill and who was ted but the dude that was not keanu reeves shot the video for who's the mac Oh, um, you know, curly hair, dude, that was, uh, that was, that was, who would have known? So, yeah, cute. I mean, I encourage anyone, go on Twitter. Cube tweeted a lot of ill photos, gave props to a lot of people like Run DMC, Sir Jinx, um, you know, the Bomb Squad. He said that, you know, if Sam Sever, who was, you know, the producer at Def Jam, down with Third Base, um, you know, if he would have not stood up Cube at a meeting that they had scheduled and after his NWA fallout that he would have never hit on the bomb squad you know he never would have tapped them to do it and actually when I read that this week it made me pull out all the third base records and like try to imagine that in my mind you
1: know yeah it's really crazy uh dude there was so much excitement for that album when it dropped like Ice Cube, for a, a lot of people, um, was definitely the heart of NWA. He's what he who's the engine and why people uh, thought they loved them. You now, when he left, like it gave them a chance to kind of shine and show what they could do without him. And I think they surpassed most people's expectations. Like Dre was just so, so good of a producer. Um, you know, Ren was super underrated as a writer. Uh, He wasn't a political like Cube, and you know, tended to skew more toward the misogynistic stuff that we found on the EP and the the second album that you and I referred to in the past. But you know, he could put together he could put together a rhyme scheme like you know, pretty pretty crazy. Uh, And but so when Cube left, everyone was waiting for it. It was almost like uh, some kind of anticipation for Snoop's um, Snoop's album, and then for him to be. A West Coast artist unifying with like the top East Coast production unit at that time, which is like, it's like the dream team, you know, and I've got to admit, it took me a while. I was a little bit, um, it, it was jarring. First of all, it's just a really aggressive and dissonant album. That's just the Bond Squad style. But then also, like, I was used to Cube on the more soulful samples and, you know, that Dr. Dre sound. And it wasn't G-Funk yet, but it was still rooted in soul. Um, and so it was weird for me to hear Cube like that. And so I gravitated toward the slower, more laid-back songs, like uh, Once Upon a Time in the uh, Projects and um, You Can't Fade Me. Um, you know, um, but, yeah, it was it was a great album. And everyone was really, really... Um, psyched about about hearing cube in that capacity you know
0: yeah i mean i i ask um is it the first quote-unquote angry rap album of that level
1: well what do you mean by angry rap um
0: yeah i mean that's that's tricky but like cube you know coming out with um a hardcore message like that and i the reason I say the word angry is I look at, I look at that album and I think it's so brilliant because it's the total package. Like you can look at the cover, you can look at the title, you can look at cube's expression and get a sense of what you're about to hear. Um, And it's got in a different way than you do with, you know, long live the cane or, um, you know, paid in, paid in full looks like the album sounds the cover, but this was different. Like this took rap to a different place. And I, you know, I wasn't certainly, was too young at the time i i probably first heard america's most in 96 or 97 you know six seven years after it came out but i'm asking you like is that did that create a new paradigm
1: well so i would frame it different than anger i would say protest right and really kind of outspoken and i think what it did was so there had been a few examples of it before right one it was public enemy you know um yo Bum the show and it takes a nation of millions you know chuck was the the voice the black cnn to use his own words and the voice of the streets and what was really going on with racism and systemic oppression and stuff like that and then you know a lot of people the reason why they call and think of straight out of a continent as a classic is because it was also rooted in that kind of same kind of politics but that was definitively cube's influence right you know um mm-hmm. After police and, and straight out of Compton, the, the political themes out of there were written by Cube, and Gangs, those, those gang, were his voice, right? So that's why you saw the split and, and NWA sound when he left, you know, because Ring was more the street and like you know profane, and Cube was the 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 protest and profound, you know. So Cube went all the way with it on on that with the bomb squad, who, as you know, architected Public Enemy sound too. So that gave him license to go all the way in on the political um, protest type music, and so I think it was the first West Coast expression, pure West Coast expression of that. Straight out of Compton started it, and, and Cube, like you know, evolved it, you know, into a pure form. For me, Ice Cube was at his best with Death Certificate because Death Certificate blended uh, that. It blended a lighter side of Cube. You know, he had like you know more jokey stuff on there too, so he was more well, well-rounded. And just sonically, it it felt more West Coast to me. It felt more aligned with what Cube's true musical sensibilities were. Um, but but um, but America's Most one, it was one of the most important albums because it was that platform for expressing what America represented to young black men at that time. You know, um, with the KKK and the Americas. Um, which is a nice segue into, I think, the last thing you and I wanted to talk about, which is the Atlanta uh, child murder series on HBO. Um, mm-hmm. I know that's been out for a little while. I just finished it up this weekend, and you, you, you've you been ahead of me on that. But, and you didn't live through that era either. No. So I would love to hear your impressions of it, just because this i got to imagine, you know, aside from uh, Mindhunter, which we both like, season two, uh, which which was centered around that. Uh, this must have been one of your first real extensive looks at that case.
0: Yeah, I, I shared with you and Justin in in the last episode. You know, Mindhunter opened that up to me, and um, and and that's, you know, I, that's embarrassing to admit. You know that I this isn't something I learned about in school, and even in just like you know reading of serial killers or things like that. Um, So then immediately after Mindhunter, there was a podcast that was unofficially related that is very popular called Atlanta Monster. And now they've done the DC Sniper and some others after it. And I listened to that the whole way through, which that podcast, like I said, pointed me to Andre 3000, mentioning it on Travis Scott's album. So of all the things, then I come back to this series. And um, it was very, uh, very new to me to realize the probability that um, members of the KKK were behind it, and that Atlanta in 1980, 81, you know, 82, was going through um, a tug of war of what is the city's identity at a time when you had, you know, such black prosperity. You then, you know, you had this, this, you know, these oppressors that wanted to do otherwise, and that was just what was so chilling to me about what I learned in the HBO, you know, docu series.
1: Yeah, you know, um, watching that Mindhunter season opened up new things for me. Like, um, you know, growing up, we all, when it was happening, thought it was the Klan. You know, every, you know, most Black people thought it was uh, the Klan coming in. It was Georgia. You know, um, it was their MO, and it seemed like it was that. And it was terrifying. It made it a national crime for us because the Klan was everywhere, right? So if it's the Klan doing this even though it's happening in Atlanta, it could happen anywhere. And I was, you know, 10 at the time. So like right in that age and like it was one of those first like things that like hung over you as like a, a, a an existential threat. You know, like someone could literally just snatch you and just kill you. So there was that. Um, and when Wayne Williams was identified as the killer and convicted, like it was a head scratcher for a lot of people. Like it just seemed so completely foreign and um and against what our, our kind of core belief systems were. But you know then they they entered they all this you know fancy evidence and everything. And the the jury was um a mixed jury, you know, it was plenty of black people. So um you know and then the the murder stopped and so, you know, it seemed like maybe okay, maybe they got the guy, you know. Um but then in watching this documentary, you see the politics that were happening behind the scenes and how they were resistant at even acknowledging the murders at first. And then when they did, um, you know, without spoiling it for people who are going to look at it, just to me, what it left me with was it was very clear that one, um, there was more than a reasonable doubt. There was, if all the evidence had been introduced, there was a ton of doubt, which then, you know, by our legal standards means that he should not have been convicted. Uh, yeah. Because, you know, unless you can prove beyond a reasonable doubt that someone's guilty, then they're not guilty. And, um, you know, maybe he did some, maybe he didn't, but like, you know, based on all the evidence, like there was definitely huge doubt. Um, and that's another travesty. But, you know, as I think about it, let's say that it was, the Klan or someone white who did something. I don't know that you know, especially back then, because it still happens now. Well, we see it as recently as George Zimmerman, and we don't know what's going to happen. You know, right now, you know, with the Ahmad case. But um, back then, in in early eighties, Atlanta, Georgia, it, are they going to convict a white person of killing young, poor black kids? There's a huge there's a high, high possibility that the person wouldn't have been convicted if it was a white sure. person. Um and that would have like it would have destroyed Atlanta, it would have set up riots across the country, and so you can see huge political motivations for not doing that, you know. And so it just I don't know, it was a it was a pretty wild, eye opening, um, disturbing uh documentary. Um, uh, but I thought it was very well done.
0: Yeah, I mean, it stayed in my mind for all the reasons you just said. And I also think, you know, um, and in the Atlanta Monster podcast, they interview Wayne Williams a lot. And, um, you know, Wayne Williams is a, you know, a, a weird guy. You know, he, he's real. Even in the even in those interviews, like, he asked for as much time as they interviewed him at one point to talk about an artist on the outside that he was promoting. I mean, he's just not um, – I don't think he has that likability factor. And I wonder how much – that was used especially if he was innocent as a pawn to play to the media you know through the media to put it on this guy and you know the main piece of evidence they have is a splash which I could tell you right now I hear a splash behind me but that doesn't mean there's one there and I'm not exonerating him either but it just really makes you wonder and um yeah that that documentary that docu-series um definitely made me want to pick up books and read more and they opened up the case, you know, in, um, in uh, I think 2019 or 2018, and it'll be interesting to see if anything develops out of that.
1: Yeah. At this point, I think it's, it's too much time passed. Um, you know, the evidence collection methods they used back then, you know, it's just not, there's not enough. Um, I, I think to really like find anything concrete. So, you know, Unless, I don't know if there was DNA that they could collect or whatever, but even so, uh, even if, you know, when you think about Central Park Five, right? Um, um, It wasn't until someone literally confessed to the murder that those kids were free. There was no amount of evidence that could be, you know, used to prove their innocence in their minds. And even then, the, the prosecutors who were behind it refuse to believe it when a person confessed to it you know what yeah. i mean like, I mean, yeah. so uh you know unless something like that were to happen for wayne williams i don't see him getting that
0: yeah it really um does make you wonder well you know uh, shifting gears for one second i mean we've talked about about battles and a few things um some new music did drop this week did you hear anything or come across anything that really stood out for you
1: you know, I was like I was kind of uh you sent me uh, you sent me some stuff that I Deontay Hitchcock, um uh, that really spoke to me. I thought that was like super dope. Um you know, most of my new music came from you this week. Uh, you sent me a couple things uh, we added some some stuff to the playlist too. Um uh what else uh you know, the Apollo Brown, Brown and Shane Noir and Shane Noir and Black Thought. I mean, Black yeah. Thought's best verse of the year so far, um, I think he needs to do, he did those projects with Salam and Ninth. I think he needs to add Apollo Brown to the list of producers that he does work with because he and Apollo made some magic together, you know? So those are probably my top ones, how, how about you?
0: Yeah, absolutely. Um, you know, Deontay's whole album is uh, is is really, I think it's called Better. It's It's been heavy rotation for me. JIDs on there, J.I.D., um, you know, uh, Black is on there, some different folks, and it's just got a great sound to it. And, and one of the things I like about Deontay, too, is he has his own producer um, who's been with him for years, this guy named um, Brandon Phillips-Taylor, and he's very versatile sound, likes to sample, likes to twist with, you know, distort vocals. Um, I love that. I just love it when you see an artist that's new to the game making noise And they've got somebody with them. I mean, that's in the, you talk about hip hop tradition, but yeah, I think Deontay got a lot of um, recognition for working with Dreamville during the Revenge of the Dreamers three. And, um, you know, he's been on my radar for a year or two. Um, JG, one of the contributors at AFH, um, you know, put me up on him in 2018 with a song called thinking about you. And Deontay is dope. part of that whole kind of um, new Atlanta sound.
1: Yeah. Yeah, it's great, man. Atlanta, like, it's super diverse now, too, you know. Uh, with Earth
0: Gang and Jid. and yeah.
1: Ben, yeah. Yeah, Jid is one of my favorite rappers of the last five years. Like, him and Reason. Like, uh, the two of them are just, like, crazy.
0: You make a really good point, too, with Apollo. I think Apollo Brown, I mean, he's been doing it for well over a decade now. I mean, close to, I think, 15 years. And um, we watched Odyssey. I mean, his label made it, Mellow Music Group. Um, You know, Odyssey has gone on to work with J. Cole and, you know, allegedly produced the Kendrick J. Cole song that has not come out. I want Apollo to get that recognition. And I I think Apollo is is a traditional producer in that, you know, artists that he works with, like your OCs and your Razkaz and Sky Zoo, you know, they work together, like, in the same studio. So I don't think he's, like, a beat shopper, but I would love to see him work with somebody like Black Thought. And, um in addition to thought just killing it, Shay Noir doing what she does best. And, you know, one of the artists that's bringing Buffalo um, further along with Griselda, um, you know, Apollo just brought his A game on that joint. That's actually my song of the week.
1: Yeah. Word. That's your song of the week.
0: That is uh, so my song.
1: I, I guess, I, I guess I can't use it then. Um, yeah. I, 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 so then I'll go back to the Atlanta child murders documentaries. And um, episode three, there was a sample that I heard. Really soulful, a, a song. I was, yeah, I was like, who, 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 who sampled this? I know it was like late '80s era, and I kept thinking EPMD, and I was looking um, through EPMD's catalog, and I couldn't find the song, and I couldn't remember the, the name. And then I thought, ah, K. sello You know, uh, you know, he was part of that whole like Death Squad click. and um, the song was fugitive. Um And I forgot what a great storyteller he was too, and just how penetrating and clear his voice is. But uh, the song future—that's my song of the week.
0: Man, that's dope. Well, I um, the, the year is the year is heating up. We got some uh, you know, good music coming out. And in the meantime, you know, hip hop is leading the way for other forms of entertainment and other just cultures with the way you know they're handling quarantine and this uh, this crazy year that is.
1: Word, word, man. The culture always uh, moves things forward, and it's great. Amen. Yeah. All right, man. Well, be well. You too. And look forward to connecting later on in the week. You definitely will. All right, man. Peace. Later.